Well, good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here this morning, Bridge family. And I just want to take a moment also to say welcome if you're a guest. If this is your first time here at the Bridge, we're glad that you are here today. We hope you feel at home. We hope that you meet some of the great people that call the Bridge Church their home. If you have any questions about the church, more that you want to find out about the Bridge, just stop by the Info Center before you go today because we would love to meet you. Our team would love to answer your questions to the best of their ability. And if you are looking to find your place here at the Bridge, we have something called Connecting Point that happens on the first Sunday of every month. We would love to meet you there. We just ask that you register. It's really, really helpful if you register so that we can plan for you and we'll be prepared to serve you and your family. Just go to the Bridge app and click on the connect tab. You can also do that on our website. Just click on the connect tab and you can register to come to Connecting Point. We had to reschedule this month for next month, but we're really excited about gathering with a lot of people who are newer to the church. So again, thank you for being here today. We look forward to getting to know you. If you're a regular at the bridge, can we just put our hands together and welcome all of our guests to church today? All right, this morning we're going to start a little two-part series called Beloved and be love, be loved and be loved. And you'll see where we're going with this here in just a few moments, but the one key, the one topic, the one thing that I really wanna drive home before we move into this message today is simply this. I cannot express the love of Christ in my life until I have first embraced the love of Christ for myself. I cannot fully express the love of Christ through my life until I have embraced the love of Christ for myself. So this morning, let's jump right into scripture, and I'm going to read to you today from 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible or a device with the Bible on it, we'll have the scriptures on the screens, but I want to read to you this morning from 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. This is John writing, and he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9 says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11 says, Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And finally, in verse 12, no one has beheld God. Other translations say no one has ever seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God lives or abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Father, I pray this morning that we would know your love. Not just talk about it, not just hear about it, but we would be reminded of your great love for us. I pray that we would embrace that love that you've already given to us. I pray, Father, today that you would just reach down, put your arms around us, and show us just how much you love us, and then show us that same kind of love that you are wanting us to distribute to the world around us. I pray that you would use me, get me out of the way this morning, God. Nobody came to hear from me. They all came to meet with you. So I pray that you would use me this morning, say what you want to say from your word, In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this passage of scripture that we read this morning in 1 John chapter 4, I've had this passage at the beginning, these verses right here, kind of memorized throughout the course of my life because when I was a kid, we sang a song in Sunday school that talked about this directly from this passage of scripture. 
And when you read those six verses that we just read, you see the word love pop up 15 times. 15 times in six verses. And that's a lot of talk about love. And it makes it very, very clear that the main topic that John is wanting to get into is the topic of love. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But let me just be honest for a moment. I'm a guy. I think like a dude most of the time. And I think if I put myself in the shoes of a lot of guys who come to church, if you sit down in service and the pastor says, well, good morning, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about the love of God. I think most guys, like I'm kind of think of myself as the average guy. And if I put myself in a lot of your shoes, you come in and if I opened up and told you that this morning, you're like, oh my gosh, why did I even come today? Because that's the moment where like your wife kind of puts her hand around your arm and says, honey, I'm so glad you're here this morning. And guys are like, just go ahead and put a fork in my eye like right now if I'm gonna have to sit through this sappy message about love. But, but here's the thing about this is that I tend to get my own ideas of what love is based upon my own emotions or my own experiences. But the way that the New Testament writers talk about the love of God is a whole other thing. And that's what I wanna jump into this morning and talk a little bit about. Because what we see is that there are different forms of love that can be expressed. And in the English language, we just have this one word, love. So if I say that I love my wife, and Pastor Gary's talked about this, if I say that I love my wife, she's gonna say, oh, well, I love you too, and I hope that she'll feel something there. But if I turn right around in the next breath and say that I also love ice cream, I don't think my wife is going to feel all that valuable because I've just used the same word to describe two different things that I don't exactly love equally. I do love you a whole lot more than I love ice cream. And there are other things that I love more than ice cream. But the point is, we only have this one word. Now, if you're like me and you've been in church for a long, long time, you know that there are various Greek words, the language in which the New Testament was written, that describe this word love. And I want to take a moment and I want to talk through these. And we actually have a graphic that I think will be helpful on the screen this morning to help us go where we're going to understand the love of God. See, four primary words for love in the Greek language that were used most often, first of all, there was this word eros, E-R-O-S, and it talks about a sensual or a romantic kind of love. In fact, the best way to remember this word eros is to understand that it's this Greek word eros, everybody stay with me, this Greek word eros is the Greek word from which we get our English word erotic. Now some of you are like, did you just say that in church? Yes, I did, and I'll tell you why. Because God made you and he made me to enjoy that kind of love within the healthy boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. It ain't a bad word if you're doing it the right way. We'll just leave that right there. So Eros love speaks to a sensual, even romantic kind of love. That was one primary Greek word for love. And that word doesn't even show up in Scripture, but the theme of that kind of love is all throughout Scripture. The second word that we see is this word, storge, which speaks of a familial kind of love. Think of the love from a mother to a child, from a father to a child, or family members sharing a love in common. Why? Because they hold a familial or a family bond. The word that we see next, and again, storge isn't primarily used in Scripture. We see it used one time as a compound word in Romans 12, I believe, but it's not used primarily in Scripture. 
But the next word that we see is actually used in Scripture, and it's the word philia, or phileo, depending on how you see it or read it in Scripture. And it speaks about a friendly or brotherly kind of love. Now, we just talked about familial or family love. What's the difference between familial love and brotherly love? Brotherly love is when you and I are not actually blood family, but we treat each other as if we are like we're really brothers, like we're really sisters in Christ. And we see that word pop up. Even Jesus uses that word in Scripture, the word philia, love. But then there's a different kind of love that we see used to describe the love of God. And perhaps you've been taught this at some point in your life. It's the word agape. It's sacrificial love, self-sacrificing, a self-giving kind of love. But here's the part that I didn't learn even when I was in Bible school that nobody taught me very well. The word agape is not the Greek word for love that best describes the love of God because when the original writers went to pen scripture, the thing that they did was they did not go back and look to the traditional Greek understanding of the word agape. Instead, they took the word agape and they applied it directly to the teachings of Jesus himself. So what they were saying was this idea of agape love, it's not something we know from our past. It's not something we know from our history. It's something that transcends emotion. It transcends everything that I would try to give in my human flesh. This is the sacrificial, self-giving love of God that's bigger and better than any other kind of love I could ever experience in life. Agape love speaks of God's love for humanity. It speaks of his self-giving, self-sacrificial love that he pours out freely to each and every one of us. So with that in mind, we have to understand that every time we see that word love pop up as agape in the New Testament, it's not talking about just a simple love that we could feel through emotion. It's talking about a love that only God could give to us. But here's the thing. God wants to first give it to us, and then secondly, he wants us to turn around and give it to other people the same way that he is freely given it to us. So with that in mind, with that understanding of what these words really mean, let's go back to this passage of scripture that we started in and read again in verse seven. Again, verse seven simply says this, beloved, everybody say beloved. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Think of it as a gift. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Let's leave this verse on the screen for just a moment. And I want to give you the first point if you're taking notes today. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, here's what you need to know. Before God asked us to love anyone else, he first loved us. It is so important to know this. And some of you hear that and you think, well, that sounds really simple and I've heard it before. But I'm going to say this a few times so that it sinks into our hearts this morning. Before God ever asked us to love anyone else, he first loved us. Now, think about this for a moment. I'm going to ask you a question, okay? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it out loud. What does the word beloved mean? Think about it. What does the word beloved mean? Now, I can't think of another word that does this, but the literal definition of the word beloved is actually found in the letters of the word. Beloved means to be loved. What John is saying here quite literally in the scripture is those of you who are loved by God, you are loved, you are being loved. God has distributed his love to you. So what do we do with it? We turn around and we love one another. And we're gonna dive deeper into that in just a moment, but I wanna really emphasize this this morning because I recognize that a lot of us are in a lot of different places even though we're in this one room together. 
We come from a lot of different places. We've come from a lot of different backgrounds. We might currently be having different experiences that have brought us to this place today. But I want to say this from the bottom of my heart this morning, and I hope that every single person, I've been praying for every single person, that when you hear me say this, you won't hear Zach say this. You will hear the Holy Spirit saying this to you. Are you ready? God loves you deeply. God loves you so much that before he ever asked you to love anyone else, he first wanted you to understand just how much he loves you. In fact, I would even go a step further and say that you can't love somebody as well as God intended you to until you first understand just how much he loves you. We're going to talk more about what that love means, what that love looks like, and how God expressed that, but I want to just Make sure that everybody catches this this morning because God rarely will ask us to do something that he hasn't already done first. Isn't it good to know that when we step out in obedience to God's word, God's not asking us to do something that he hasn't already done for us first? When God says love one another, why would he ask us to do that if he hadn't first loved us? See, if we had just read this passage through a religious lens, it's very easy for us to think that we are being commanded to show love to others in order to make God happy. But there's something so much greater that John is wanting us to understand in this passage of Scripture, and it's this, that there is nothing we can do today that can earn what God has already given to us when he distributed his love to us. There is no love that you can give to somebody else that is gonna make God love you any more than he already does. And before we even talk about what it means to love others, to love our families, to love our friends, to love our neighbors, to love our coworkers, the one thing that we have to get not just through our head but into our heart is simply this, God loves us so very much. We're gonna talk about how much he loves us in just a moment, but if I can express a few things to every single person in this place, I would say this. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you are stuck in a rut in life. Maybe when you came to church today, you can't see over the edge of that rut that you feel stuck in. And your hope today was that you would get to church and the pastor would give you three steps to dig your way out of that rut that you find yourself in today. I believe God wants to help you. In fact, I believe God wants to reach down and pull you up out of the place that you are. But the thing he wants you to know first, above all else, is before you do anything, he wants you to know just how deeply he loves you. Maybe you're here today and you thought about the idea of coming to church and you're just like, you know, I don't want to go to church today because I feel like what I'm going to get is a list of the things that I need to do to make God happy. And that list sometimes feels so long in order to gain God's approval that I don't even want to begin, I don't even want to go, I don't even want to start. And can I tell you something this morning? There's nothing you can do to earn the favor of God. God simply wants you to know before you do anything how much he loves you. You are loved. You are the beloved of God. God laid his son down in sacrifice in hopes that he might come to relationship with you. He loves you before he ever asked you to do anything. Maybe you're that person that's already busy working on that list, though. And when you got to church this morning, you were exhausted because you feel like you are working so hard. You are working your fingers to the bone to please God, to make him happy, to earn his affection, and to earn his approval. And I feel like maybe there's a few people like that in the room today. And the Holy Spirit wants to say to you today, would you just stop, sit down, take a deep breath, and rest in the fact that you are already the beloved of God in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you can do to further earn his love, his appreciation, 
and his acceptance. He wants you to be in his family and he wants you to know already before you do anything that he loves you, he's with you, and he's for you. Now, let's move on because we talk about embracing the love of God for myself and understanding that before he wants me to give it away, he wants me to understand that I need to embrace it for myself. I am, you are, let's get it through our heads and into our hearts, write it down if you have to. We are the beloved of God in Christ Jesus. He loves us so very much before he's asked us to do anything. But let's keep going here in verse seven and see what else it says. Already we read, beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. It's like a gift that's given to us from God. And everyone who loves, who agapes, has been born of God and knows God. Verse eight says, the one who does not love or does not sacrificially love, give away that agape, does not know God because God is love. Now again, let's leave verse eight on the screen for just a moment. If you're taking notes, here's the second thought that I wanna give you this morning. We've already established that before God asks me to love anyone else or to give love away, he wants me to know and understand in my heart how loved, how incredibly loved I am by him. But here's the second thought, number two. My love for others, the way I give away the love that God has given me, my love for others is the proof that I myself know God. My love for others is the proof that I myself know God. And you know, I think about those verses, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God himself is love. This passage of scripture right here is telling us that the way I love others speaks of my own salvation. Anyone who loves, anyone who agapes, anyone who lays their life down in sacrifice for the betterment of another to give away the love of God that they've already received, that they've already received, they are born of God. That passage of scripture is literally talking about the regeneration that we experience when we come into saving faith in Christ. So people know that I am saved. Can I tell you something? It's the love of God that's been given to me that I've received, that I give to others, that proves that I have experienced salvation. But it doesn't just stop there. It says anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you know your, your New Testament Greek very well, you know that that word know is gnosko. It's a personal kind of knowing, an intimate kind of knowing. It means I don't just know about you. It means I don't just know your reputation, God. It means that I know you deeply, personally, intimately. And essentially what this passage is saying is that if we love, people will see our salvation and they will know that we know God. I hope this is making you think a little bit this morning because often as Christians, what we tend to do is think that the world around us will know God according to how well we memorize scripture and can quote a chapter and verse. But you know what that means? That means that we've just proved to, to the world around us how well we know the Bible. Because guess what? You can know the Bible and not know God. What did Jesus say? He said, in that day, many will say, we did this, this, this in your name. And Jesus says, I'll say, depart from me. I did not, gnosko is the word, know you. I can know my Bible well. I can be the master of apologetics and I can argue with anybody until I'm blue in the face about what I believe and why I believe it. But if I do not show them the love of God where I'm laying down my life in self-sacrifice the same way that Jesus did it for me, I can win the debate and I can lose the person. 
Yesterday, we went uh, in the evening to, to Vail Ranch with some friends to have dinner for our birthday. And we had a really good time just hanging out with friends, making some new friends. And I was sitting down and the kids were playing and it was kind of hectic around us. And we're having this conversation. So it's like a conversation is happening here. And I look over in the distance and there's this woman that's walking along the path there at Vail Ranch. And she was wearing this shirt and it was like you could not miss her. She did not blend into a crowd. She was screaming, look at me. And she had this shirt on with this big bold text on it that said, science doesn't give a bleep about your beliefs. And I'm kind of sitting there and it just caught me off guard, you know, because I thought, I don't think I would wear a shirt that's like going to pick a fight with somebody, you know. (laughs) But what was fascinating about it was like in my heart, like my belief system, my faith in Christ, my faith in God's word is like really solid, right? So the very first thing that happens on the inside of me when I was sitting there seeing this woman's shirt was there was something because the shirt was just straight up combative, right? Because it almost felt like a personal assault on people like me that believe in a God of creation, that believe in the God of the Bible. And I don't see God and science as being at odds. I see science as fulfilling everything that God's already said in scripture. Now, that's not the point. The point is, when somebody becomes combative, sometimes in your zealousness, or your own faith and your own steadfastness in scripture, you can look at that and the first instinct is to get up and fight over that. And some of you are good at that. I sat there for a minute and I thought to myself, you can stand up and fight, you can stand up and argue, you can stand up and debate and the truth is that shirt is being worn by somebody who's most likely coming looking for a fight with people like me. You know, we live in this day and age where a lot of us as Christians, we look at the crazy things that are happening in the world around us, and I'll be the first one. Man, let me be at the front of the line and tell you there are things happening in our country and things happening in our state that, like, they go to war inside of me when I see what's going on. Our belief system, our faith, the righteousness of God from Scripture is under attack in the United States of America. But the bottom line is this. I will not win that war by warring against flesh and blood because that's not the way that God has called me to fight. Because as we just said, I could stand up, I could debate, we could go into apologetics 101, and I could tell you why I believe everything that I believe. But at the end of the day, even if I win the debate, I could lose the person, and God is not glorified in that exchange. And I know that some people will say, well, that's kind of pacifist because God is calling us to fight. That's right. He is calling us to fight, but he ain't calling us to fight people. It's we're warring against flesh. We're not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and spiritually hosts of wickedness and heavenly places that speak against the name of God. We pray, we war, we fight against those things, but in people, in our interaction with others, we are called to lay our lives down in agape sacrifice so that they may see the same love of God that's been poured out to us. Deep breath, Zach. Man, I really want to say that with passion because I'll tell you what, I'm as passionate as a lot of other people when it comes to some of the topics of the day. But sometimes winning the, the big picture war means laying my life down, not trying to kill somebody in debate. What did Jesus do? He laid his life down. It was agape love for me and for you. I have to receive that love to myself, but then I have to go further and understand that the proof that I know God and the proof of my salvation isn't how well I fight non-believers or people that disagree with me or the crazy things that are happening around me. It's how well I lay my life down the same way that Jesus laid his life down for me. Is everybody with me this morning? 
So I'm gonna do something a little bit different right now, and we don't do this very often. I got approval to do this, even though the people whose names I'm about to mention don't know I'm going to mention them. But I got approval to do this, and I wanna recognize, because there are people that I've experienced in my life, and right here in our church, that are so good at laying their life down and have done some specific things along the way or set patterns of laying their life down. You know, when you do this, you can so easily miss somebody, and I'm sorry that we didn't call every name, but I'm gonna call three right now. I love my friend, Tim Marino. Tim Marino serves on our security team. He calls me pastor, and that is humbling to me because he's my elder. You have no idea, those of you who are my elders, what it does to my heart when you call me pastor. That is incredibly humbling. But Tim's one of these guys that doesn't just call me pastor. He always says, Zach, you're my brother. You're my brother. You're my brother. What's interesting about that is Tim's the first guy I think of when I think of Philia love, because he loves me like a brother, even though we're not family. But then he goes a step further. He, he's the only person that knows this. A few weeks ago, I went to the gym early in the morning. I was driving home. It wasn't even seven o'clock yet, and I ran out of gas on my way home. I called my wife, and she left her phone upstairs, so I called like 10 times, and I can't get a hold of anybody. My dad lives on the other side of town. And I looked at where I was, and I'm like, Tim lives around the corner. I called Tim. Tim's like, be there in five. Tim shows up five minutes later with a gas can in the back of the truck. We're on the way to the gas station, put gas in the truck, and I'm going home. I think he would say that was a small sacrifice, but to me, that was a big deal that day because I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. Cost him something. Cost him time. I don't know what he had going in that moment, but he laid some time down for me. That was agape love in that moment. And can I tell you something? A lot of us have opportunities like that every day of our lives. And the love of Christ is expressed to others, the same love that's been given to us. I'm gonna name another person right now who has no idea I'm gonna do this. And he's serving right now in the coffee shop. Sam Alardo, I love you, brother. And the reason why I say Sam's name is because we just did a transition recently in our coffee bar. And we are putting new baristas in place in the coffee bar and doing some other things. And you know, being a barista is not Sam's most favorite thing to do in the world, but he is sacrificially laid down his time early Sunday mornings, put his energy into it, put his heart into it, and every time I talk to him about it, he puts a smile on his face and says, I love doing this, I'm happy to do it, I know we're getting through a season right here. Sam, you have laid your life down to make some things happen, I'm grateful for you, I love you, and I appreciate you. And to a lot of people, that might be a small thing, but there are people who walk through the doors of our church every week and just a simple cup of coffee opens their heart to what Jesus wants to do in their life. And I'm looking forward to you playing the drums again soon, Sam. <laughs> and then finally, one of the most unsung heroes, the highest unsung hero of our church, Mr. Wes Sugino. <laughs> For the people that know Wes, you cheer because you know how much of his life he pours into the church. Wes is retired, yet he drives on here on his own dime almost every single workday and is serving somewhere in the church. You will turn up into a dark corner somewhere in this building and Wes is fixing something so that it can function on a Sunday. And how can I say this delicately? He's at an age and stage of his life where he puts in way more physical labor than he probably should. <laughs> but he's happy to do it and he lays his life down. And most of the people in our church will never know the agape love sacrifice that that man pours into our church, but our team knows it. We do our best to appreciate it. And I want to tell you, Wes Sugino, you are a hero at the Bridge Church, and I love you, brother. My love for others 
is the proof of my salvation and that I know, gnosko, personally, intimately, deeply, that I know God. All right, now let's move to the home stretch, okay? 1 John 4, now look at verse 10. It says in verse 10, in this is love. Here's the definition of love. Here's what God's love for humanity looks like. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That word right there, when we see the word atonement, the atonement for our sin, the sacrifice for our sin, propitiation literally means the substance or the offering that's given for that atonement. So Christ was the literal substance of offering that was given for our atonement, the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, so beloved, there's that word again, you who are loved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then finally, verse 12, no one has ever seen God. No one's ever seen Almighty God, Father God, with their own two eyes. If we love one another, God remains in us, and this is where I want to land this morning. God remains in us, and his love is perfected in us. If you're taking notes, here's the third thought I want to give you this morning, all right? Number three, God's love is perfected in our imperfect hands. God's love is perfected in our imperfect hands. When you see that word perfected, maybe the Bible, the Bible that you're reading from says completed or brought to completion. That word in the original writings literally means to be carried through to completion. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. You can answer this one out loud. Is the love of God perfect? The answer is yes. The grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, all of those things are perfect. Why? Because God is perfect perfect. So don't you think that God is being awfully risky when he takes that perfect love and puts it in our imperfect hands? And you know what? It is kind of risky for God to take his perfect love and put it in our imperfect hands because sometimes we really screw things up. We talked about the debate. Sometimes as Christians, man, we see things around us. We want to jump all over that. I'm going to attack that thing. And we can win the debate, but we can lose the person. We can lose the war. Jesus takes his perfect love. God takes his perfect love, which is expressed through Christ, gives it to us, says, I want you to turn around and give it to other people. And this love remains in us and it's perfected in us. In other words, the love of God is brought to full potential. It's perfected. It becomes everything that God designed it to be when we don't just receive it, but we take what he's given us, we turn around and we give it to somebody else. Why? Because it isn't just for us to hold on to for ourselves. In its own self-existence, the love of God is self-sacrificing. It's self-giving. It's not selfish whatsoever. So he gives it to us freely. We have to take it in first and receive it. But because it's a self-giving, self-sacrificing love, it's perfected when we turn around and do the same thing God did and we give it away to other people. That's risky. And it occurs to me that sometimes we don't like to give the love of God away the same way that he gave it to us because sometimes we don't think other people will receive it the same way that we did. Have you ever seen somebody that just upset you, that made you mad, and because of their actions, their lifestyles, their interactions with you, you recognize, man, this person must be far from God. And you're like, well, that person isn't worthy of the love of God the way they treat me. And we predetermine how they're supposed to receive the love of God. Can I tell you something this morning? It is not my responsibility or your responsibility to control how someone else receives the love of God. It's our responsibility to control how we give it away. 
Because there's a lot of people out there when we give it away, they will receive it, but there's some that might not. And I struggle with that. But here's the deal. When Jesus went to the cross, do you think that Jesus probably knew, I'm gonna lay my life down? What does scripture say? It says that while we were yet sinners, so while I was in my state of sinfulness, Christ died for us. Jesus died knowing that he was putting, laying his life down, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all would be a seed even for future generations who would one day make a decision to follow him in the midst of their sinfulness. But he also did it knowing that there were people that would reject that sacrifice he was making. And it was like Jesus said, I'm putting this in the Father's hands. I'm laying my life down for those who will respond to this. But he did it also knowing some people would not. Think about that. And I want to encourage you this morning that it's not your responsibility or my responsibility to control the way someone receives the love of God. It's simply my responsibility to give it away. That's what he's called us to do. So while you're getting directions to your next destination, (laughs) I want to tell you a story. Sorry, just kidding. Love you guys. This past week, we had our teacher celebration. This is our biggest outreach outside of the church, outreach event of the year. And this year, we tried something new. We did something to plant a seed, to build a bridge into local schools and local campuses. And I'm going to be as transparent as I know how to be, and I hope that nobody will be offended with my honesty this morning. But we started talking about this and making this plan for our teacher celebration, and there was something inside of me that was holding a bit of a grudge with what we were doing. And just all cards on the table, because my family's a homeschool family. We made a decision to take our kids out of California public schools. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not the point. The point is this. We knew we were planting a seed and building a bridge into the schools, and when we started talking to schools, administrators, administration, one of the things that we heard and we knew was that going in, we could face some people who were not receptive to what we were bringing, even though we weren't preaching, We weren't giving away Bibles. We weren't walking around saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Would would you like to receive Christ right now? That was not what we were doing. We wanted to honor teachers, celebrate them, because we know that they do work hard for our students. And use this to plant a seed, build a bridge, so we can minister to them, to our schools, to students and families in the valley. That's why we were doing it. And as one of the pastors who went to one of our local campuses, I had to work out in my heart some of the issues that I had before we stepped on campus. Because I sat there and thought, well, what happens if we face resistance? What happens if somebody comes up and says, oh, you're a religious organization? You're a church? We don't want you here. Don't preach to me. Don't. And they didn't want to receive what we had. I had to work that out because there's something inside of me that was a little bit combative to some of the things that are happening on our campuses. But I was reminded that when Jesus went to the cross, he knew that not everybody was going to put their faith in the sacrifice he was making. But guess what? He did it anyway. For all who would come or call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Can I tell you something? All of us every day of our lives walk into situations where the people around us might not be receptive if we start to preach at them, give them scripture, tell them that they're going to hell if they don't receive Christ right here and now because they might die tomorrow, you just never know. We could walk in with that attitude, try to preach at them and persuade them into faith. But at the end of the day, what is it that reveals our salvation? What is it that reveals that we know God? And what is it that leads them into relationship with Christ? If we lay down our lives for them the same way that he laid down his life for us. 
Maybe you look at your family right now and you look at your kids and you say, I feel like I'm laying my life down every day of the week for my kids and I'm not exactly seeing the return on my investment yet. We can't control how they receive the love of God, but we can control the way that we continually give it away. What about those, those coworkers that you struggle with? They're different personalities than you. Their belief system's different. They got stuff plastered all over their cubicle that goes against everything that you believe in. Do we want to debate and argue? Because you might win the debate, but you can lose the person. No, what are we called to do? Just lay your life down in some way, some form, some fashion, so agape, the love of God, to them and watch how that opens their heart to God. That's the only thing that you can control. And even if they don't respond, it's still your responsibility to give it away. Your family members, your neighbors, the person that never mows their lawn next door, that you want to chew out, that you want to report to the HOA. When you receive those HOA letters, it ought to convince you that you shouldn't go around tattling. I'm just kidding. The point is, we can't always control the way that others receive the love of God, but we're not called to. We're simply called to give away the love that we've already received. Be loved, and then be loved to the world around us. Amen? Would you bow your head with me this morning? I want to pray three prayers. We're actually out of time. I've gone slightly over. We've had a lot to do today, but I want to pray three prayers before we close today. First prayers for the people in this place that you just haven't fully got it in your heart yet just how much God loves you. The second is for those of you who <laughs> you're struggling to give that love away because of the circumstances or the walls that are built up between you and the people in your world. My prayer is that God will break those walls down. You'll have the courage to step out in faith and sow seeds of agape in your everyday life. Let's pray those two prayers and we'll conclude with the third. Father, I pray first of all for every person in the house today that in this very moment they wouldn't hear my words, but they would hear that gentle, still small voice of the Holy Spirit and feel that loving embrace that just reaches down and wraps them up and says, I love you, I got you, I see you. Before I've asked you to do anything, I need you to know that I love you. There's nothing you can do to earn my love and my affection. I've already laid it out and I just want you to receive it this morning and I want you to know just how deeply I love you. I'll say it one more time to every person in the house, you are loved by Almighty God. He loves you with everything. He gave everything for you. Father, for those in this house today that have relationships and people in their world, that they are struggling to give that love away too because of the walls that have been built up between them and others, I pray that you would tear those walls down, that they would have the courage and the bravery and the faith to step out and simply sow seeds of the love of God in their world and the people that you've placed around them. Even if those people don't receive it, God, they recognize that it's not about them controlling how they receive it. It's up to them just to give it away and trust you with the results. God, we choose today to knock those walls down. If you have those people in your heart and your mind right now that you say, I've been unwilling to give it away, I'm gonna choose today, I'm gonna choose tomorrow, I'm gonna step into my neighborhood, my workplace, my family, I'm gonna give away the love of Christ simply by laying my life down in some simple way to let them see the love of God. And finally, third and final prayer this morning, maybe you're here today and we talk about love and say love sounds good, but I've only ever known it on a human level. Scripture tells us that God gives it to us in a way that transcends human love and human emotion. This is love, that God sent his only begotten son to this earth to become the propitiation for our sins so that our sins could be washed away and we could come back into relationship with God. He did that for us. 
Before we could do anything, he loved us that much. But once we recognize it, that call demands a response. The response that says, I believe in my heart that you did that for me, Jesus, and I confess with my mouth that you're my Lord and the Savior of my life. We're gonna pray a prayer right now. If you're here this morning, you wanna come into relationship with God, I wanna ask you to pray these words right after me. Mean it with everything inside and just say it right out loud. Everybody repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. Today I make you my Lord and my Savior. I will follow you from this day forward into everything you have for me. So I give you my day, I give you my tomorrow, and I give you my eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're here this morning, you made a decision to follow Christ, there's no better decision you could ever make. We just want to help you start your journey of faith. After service, we're going to have some prayer teams right down here, right down here to the front of the stage. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision to follow Christ. They'll give you a simple gift. It's a book called The Next Seven Days just to help you start your journey of faith. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, you can stop by the Next Seven Days desk. It's right between the glass doors. Let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus, and we will help you. We'll give you the next seven days and help you get started in your journey of faith because we're glad you made that decision. Congratulations. Can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family this morning? Awesome. Hey, final thing before we go this morning, we just want to take a moment and honor God by bringing our tithes and our offerings into God's house. And I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you so much for your faithfulness and giving. Thank you for putting God first with your treasure that he has entrusted you with. When we honor God, when we put him first, we know that he takes what we have and we give it back to him. He multiplies it. He opens up the windows of heaven and pours out blessing in our lives. And it's a blessing to those around us as well. There are various ways that you can give on the screens right now if you want to give digitally today. Please know if you're a guest with us, there's never any pressure or compulsion to give. But this is a free will offering, something that we love to do just to say thank you, God, for meeting my needs. And then finally, you know, our teacher celebration that happened this week was a big, big deal. Financially speaking, it was a huge endeavor for our church, bigger than anything we've done in the past. And so if you'd like to contribute to that still, you can continue to sow a seed into that because we, like I said, we bit up a big chunk to make that happen this year. So you can get in on that. You can sow into that and what God is doing here in the Valley through our public schools. So thank you so much. We love you, Bridge family. You are amazingly generous and it's great to partner with you. Hey, God bless you. We hope you've had an awesome day in church. We love you. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.